Uh, it's nice. I wish you didn't live on such a steep incline. <laughs> Why? Why do you care if I live on an incline? <laughs> I just I think inclines are are the worst. Uh, they're uh, they're atrocities to to God. I think uh, trying to it's it's man asserting himself uh, over nature. Uh, That's what our whole and, city is, though. I know. It, I know. It's not as bad as like uh, San Francisco, which uh, I, I've complained yeah. about before. That that place is a real monstrosity. Uh, man was not meant to live on the sides of inclines like that <laughs> san francisco is just unwalkable i i feel like that's a nightmare at least with seattle you could go either direction you're rarely going uphill if you are it's about a five minute walk either way there's been so much construction done on seattle that they've mitigated a lot of the natural environments uh but still some of its steepness certainly you know pervades the city still Hopefully, at the same time, we're we're surrounded by natural things. I mean, like it's the it's a city where you could go any direction and get to any kind of environment you want. I mean, thirty minute drive, you're anywhere. Sure, sure, but you know, anywhere I would prefer to be not sliding down the slope of a mountain. As long as you're not on a hillside, you'd be okay with it. I think. Yeah, I think we're a flat city. If no, I mean, not too flat. We can't go too far in the extreme. I don't want to live in Oklahoma, you know, (laughs) where a a tornado is going to threaten to just like sweep over my my house. You know, Uh, we can't be too flat. Uh, Need a little bit uh, hilly, more than like steep inclines everywhere. I feel concerned that you're concerned that I live on an incline. (laughs) I'm not. I'm not. I didn't know it's a concern you had. I mean, it's just you know. When, when you got to park, then you got to turn your wheels all the way to the side and put the emergency <laughs> brake on, hope, you know, there's, there, there's no sliding or anything going on. And then it could be a bitch getting out too, you know, because especially if you're parked in like tight quarters, then you're like, oh, I got to be careful that that slide that's going to happen as soon as I take the brake off. I hope I don't slam into the person behind me. None of these things have ever happened here. It's, it's a lot It's a lot more anxiety for me, you know, okay. just, just existing and, and dealing with these kind of things. I'll be sure to look at a house on a, a Oklahoma flat hill, or a, not a hill, uh, just a prairie. Just a little, like, like less than like a ninety degree steep is all I'm asking, man. You know, let's let's go more forty five for for our inclines. It's nice because we have the little woods behind us. Uh, I feel like I'm somewhat. They call it the country here. We have a country store up the road, which is confusing since we're three minutes out of Seattle. It's not really much of a country. Last time I went up there, we stopped at a cupcake store. So, you know, I don't know the last country area I went to that, you know, sold cupcakes out of a storefront. White Center. Um, <laughs> I, I I feel like uh, it's a good day to get into Happy Death Day because it's my daughter's birthday. Um, uh, and entirely coincidental, uh, by the way. Hold on. Some, <laughs> some car alarms going off. They must have parked on the steep side of the hill. <laughs> I hear it. You do. There they go. Okay. 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 That's better. They fixed the. They fi- They had their wheels turned the wrong way. Obviously. They, <laughs> that's that's what happened. Or or they bumped they bumped into it and they set off the car alarm or another one. I told you. I told you. That's that's the exact kind of shit I'm afraid is going to happen. I've never really been so excited about a birthday as I am today. Like we put our we put all of our energy into this and we were kind of talking last night. I want to say more of my part for like the podcast but yeah it's really about like what energy you put into the people around you I think we're both very outgoing people we like having a lot of people over I I feel so constricted just not having anyone in my place like I need to be hosting constantly the same as you I believe I I feel that um a party like today we have to go overboard because Ezra can't go see friends family we can't go to a skating rink like we promised her 
I can't go to the zoo. You know, we have to we have to figure out our own fun with it. So, so we've made a huge Wonder Woman setup, a uh, like a like a shrine to Wonder Woman. <laughs> it's a little bit uh, uh, consumerist, but uh, four year olds don't care. Yeah, well, you know, that's the kind of thing that's going to excite them, appealing to their interest and stuff, and really making it uh, a, a fun, you know, uh, celebration. Uh, and I think that's going to leave a lasting impact. Uh, memory-wise. I agree with you that, you know, we, we talked a lot last week, the lack of social activity we're both having right now is, is uh, killing us as outgoing, extroverted people. Uh, I don't, is... I want nothing more than to have giant parties with all of my friends and, you know, do all kinds of, you know, fun activities together. And it's just, you can't, we're all stuck and in, in isolated. And, you know, that, that kind of mentality has been bred in me, you know, throughout my life because both my parents are very outgoing social people you know the reason yeah, we, mine too. yeah we would always have like a big halloween party every year my parents would put on we'd run out like a local you know uh venue in, in the town and you know do kind of themed celebrations and stuff one year we did like a, a movie themed one where everyone dressed up as movie people for halloween and we did like we had a as a group we dressed up as like the adams family one time or we did like a rock and roll theme and you know we were a bunch of like damn people like i i dressed up as bruce springsteen with a american flag bandana and stuff <laughs> and you well, know you did that for one of the podcasts by the way uh, <laughs> i don't know which podcast but a very american-centric one yeah maybe nashville if we get to it that's that's probably the most american one we definitely should the most american movie <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean and and it's not the only holiday, of course, that we would do. We, you know, my mom had a tradition from her mom of always having an open house on Christmas Eve and big celebrations that way. And uh, uh, birthdays were always such a huge, huge thing. We always made a huge deal out of birthdays. Well, uh, you yeah. know, one being that it, you know, coincided, like Halloween's were always especially big because they coincided with my dad's birthday because it was like just a week prior. So we'd usually kind of combine them together and do a big thing. You have to celebrate all the holidays. I like giving Ezra that experience. Like we're going to do Saint Nick's Day. We have to do like the Krampus thing. And like <laughs> I like I like the I like the minor threat during Christmas Christmas that you might get Krampus, which is like you're going to take the kids away and put them in a bag and then beat them with sticks. That's Jesus a good celebration Christ. that we're embodying. Um, I have a Krampus mask for that uh, all set. Um, we have to celebrate all the holidays, like Groundhog Day. The uh, uh. <laughs> transition that we're going to carry through on in forty minutes. Um, I, I'm not going to follow through on this transition because uh, it's a setup uh, for later, which we'll is... We'll come I back to it. To we'll radio. Flash back to it. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that time I said Groundhog Day? <laughs> <laughs> There's, yeah, uh, I think the only holiday we don't really make a big deal out of, surprisingly... Arbor is, Day, right? It's, I mean, I was going to say Easter, like, because uh, Easter is such a weird holiday. I know people who do make a bigger deal out of it, but it, it's it's kind of just like a conglomeration of so many weird like un you know fixing fa factors together that it just doesn't have a cohesive like theming to it or messaging so it's kind of hard to get behind like you do the egg hunting and decorating yeah. for a bit but but it kind of fades away with time because there's nothing else kind of holding up the, the structure of that holiday it doesn't make sense with what it is meant to be celebrating what is it meant to be exactly you know you got yeah. consistent and clear themes with like christmas and, and uh, halloween and thanksgiving you know those are all very clear straightforward holidays but it's just gotten so muddled over time with easter that i don't know how to celebrate it anymore so i've kind of 
given up on that holiday. <laughs> if you're not going to church and you're not religious, I don't know why you have to celebrate Easter. But for a kid, I think it requires a kid to really get the most out of Easter. Yeah, it's just a, a, unlike something like, you know, Christmas. Easter basket's fun. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing is that, you know, that's the case with Christmas and Halloween as well. They're very yeah. kid-centric holidays at first, but then they grow and morph into something else as an adult, whereas Easter just kind of peters out. Yeah, I mean, Easter, you lose interest after six or seven, and then it's just a family dinner and maybe church. Like, I, I think I'm the only Catholic on the site, so I, I have, like, vested interest somewhere, but uh, I, I don't feel any draw to Easter. I, I like the uh, springtime aesthetic of it. I like, like, the flowery green, and I, I like having a holiday in spring. I think it's too drawn out if we don't have Easter. Yeah. We need something in its place, if not. That's the thing. This, I guess that's the thing with back-end holidays like this is that, uh, well, at least I guess we're, we're speaking for an American perspective, you know, as well, we should say, but you've got like three major holidays in a, in a three-month time span. Uh, you know, you've got your, your Halloween at the end of October, then towards the end of, you know, uh, November, you get Thanksgiving, and then at the end, you get, you know, Christmas as well, and, and you just pray uh, that you don't have any birthdays in that time frame. Because that just makes it way more complicated. <laughs> Speaking from experience. Of course. I, I'm like a late July birthday, which is like nothing. Like a field of nothing after 4th of July, which is my yeah. brother's birthday. They've kind of sucked uh, all the enthusiasm out with the 4th of July celebration there. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm thinking about best birthdays. I remember like the year Page Master came out and I was, I was so fixated on the kid, like building the treehouse and building up the courage to go up there and and so my stepdad and I, we built like a tree house that summer. And finally on my birthday, we could open it. And all the friends came over and we did like the, we did like a spooky theme night, like in the tree house and told horror stories and had a little campfire outside. I think that's probably my most memorable. I got a dog from my grandpa that year. It was my first dog named Peanuts. So uh, that was most significant for me. Like that's the one I think back to all the time. Dude, I know you want to talk about birthdays, but I got to derail for a second to say, we have to do a page master podcast one of these days. Yes. Yes. Because, because the page master is one of the favorite films I, I watched with my dad growing up. He loves, yeah. he loves page master. Uh, you know, he, one of the things he would do, and I'll, I'll get into this more as well with birthday talks, but like he would make wooden cutouts for me as a kid of page various master? things. Uh, of, one of them was he did page master he did uh but, oh, cool. but generally the thing was is i have some of them here i'll i'll grab one if you give me a second but sure. he uh he would do uh, like i would bring him like pokemon cards as a kid and i would say dad can you make this for me and he would spend like a week carving it out painting it and all doing that and, and i have a bunch of them and i still have them hanging up around here uh but he did page master ones as well and uh another thing he did is like like you we have a big tree house in my backyard which he made but instead of it being like like in the tree like a traditional tree house it looks like a giant boat it's a giant oh, ship cool. <laughs> in the backyard with with a, with a with a helm and everything like that and uh there's a bridge to cross it between the trees and everything but let me grab one of the the pokemon here real quick which i have literally hanging on the wall so i can okay. show you i know it's not going to be to anyone else's benefit but you can describe it and uh but, yeah i could describe it and talk about it uh, yeah so once as I David walks away uh i'm going to discuss his t-shirt for the day he's wearing a stick shirt uh he's uh on a band kick so um, I'm left here narrating the podcast. I think I'm just going to continue the episode. I love Groundhog Day. Uh, Happy Death Day is the best film. Um, 
we're only going to cover Happy Death Day movies from now on. Oh no, uh, I shouldn't have walked away. <laughs> uh, oh hi, you're back. <laughs> All right, well I guess uh, back to my story here. I'll show you. This is one of the the better ones I recall them doing. That's a dragon teeny. Yeah, it's a uh, something. Uh, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> it's close. You're you're kind of in there. Dra- dragon Nair is this one. Uh, okay. It's it's okay. I've already established my. Uh, encyclopedic knowledge of pokemon yeah we we did that we debunked that with detective pikachu discussions last year revealed Uh, that but yeah so here's it's very large by the way it's not just like a minor like wood sculpture it looks like very much like the pokemon this is this is about the length of my fingertips to my elbow yeah i mean that's that's really fun that you have some of those left over from your dad too yeah i have them hanging up around the apartment uh like a nerd and uh (laughs) (laughs) he did all sorts of uh stuff like that but the some of the more fun ones were like these page master ones you did but yeah that just uh we definitely have to talk about the page master sometime uh i i know it's not like the best movie ever I love but it. why not yeah. it could be what if it's what if it is the best movie ever uh, it's it's the best mckinley culkin movie how about that we'll say that sure is <laughs> home alone can suck my dick <laughs> <laughs> uh i i remember going to my dad's like a few weeks ago i was really touched by it because he had a I was surprised he had one of my Pokemon cards, like the only one that's left. Like I threw them all out, of course, I gave them to my brother. And he had like my Bulbasaur, which I gave him because he's a, a big plant guy. Like he was always in the garden. I said, Dad, this is the card for you and you're going to train it and become a Pokemon master or something. So he held on to it uh, my whole life and still has it. That's, that's, that's fantastic to me. I do have one, one more, uh, and it's actually, I'm going to say it counts here as well because it's a Halloween-related story, but also involving Pokemon and my dad. Uh, like I said, I, I would bring him these cards and I'd say, Dad, can you make this for me? Well, one year for Halloween, I wanted to go as, as, as a Charmander. I want to dress up as Charmander. <laughs> and so I brought him the Charmander card. And I'm like, Dad, can you can you make this for me? I'd love to do this. He's like, sure. And, and I was a little disappointed at first because he didn't actually make me a Charmander costume. He made me a Charmander card costume so oh, like oh like the card yeah, itself. yeah. so okay. no like a literal card like so were you holographic then <laughs> no it was it was funny because i remember word. i remember that uh you know it, it was a little bit of disappointment at first as a kid but then when <laughs> yeah, i realized sure. how unique it was and how cool everyone in school thought it was this is like in kindergarten i remember one of the things they had us do is we were paraded around different classrooms in in our costumes that year and everyone was really fascinated by the fact that I was a Charmander Pokemon card for, for Halloween. And it, it was really like a special memory and this, you know, interesting, unique, uh, artistic thing that my, you know, my dad would do for me. And he'd do this all the time. He got so much joy out of doing all of these for me. <laughs> I like how literally he took the request. Yeah. And, um, I feel like he could have just made the Charmander, but the things we think are almost like disappointing or not for us as a kid, those are like the things we remember as my dad really went out of his way there or did something special well, for me. So. In, in retrospect, I think it's a very creative solution to uh, a very difficult task uh, a kid would have asked of for you. Sure. Like, my, my dad... Even like, more difficult, maybe, to make a card. M- maybe, but, like, I don't imagine he had any techniques in, in sewing or fabric work or anything. <laughs> like, I kind of expected just him to manifest this idea because I was a kid and, like, right. my dad's just so inventive he can make anything. Sure. Uh, so it, it, was, it was a really smart way of not saying no to me and letting me down you know he really uh came through on that one in a with the, in with the kid, way. you're you're just never trying to say no you're always looking for the right yes right so that's mm-hmm. like a good yes you could give your kid uh, i i don't know i i feel really pumped up though i haven't been so excited about a birthday 
maybe since that one I was describing. So that's really good because she's going to remember this one. It's going to be like the first one like that. I got her a really nice kid's digital camera that holds like 4,000 shots. So we can upload like her photography. She's getting really interested in picture taking. So uh, we're, we're getting into that. And I got her like a BMW bike. So her first bike, uh, no training wheels. She wouldn't want that. So mm-hmm. that's, that's exciting. Awesome. That's awesome. Uh, those those first bike memories are always a big deal. I remember getting my first bike for like, or at least one of my first bikes is like a Christmas present as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a, it's a great surprise. And it, you know, that, that uh, increase in mobility you get as a kid is, is that kind of freeing thing. It's the same kind of I- ideology behind getting your first car and stuff, but obviously yeah, at I, an earlier age. Even like more impactful for me. Like I got around more with my first bike than I did my first car. I, I yeah. did so much. Hopefully, I never came home. <laughs> hopefully that uh, those steep hills aren't too much for for Ezra to traverse. She can actually get around because uh, you know that'd be a real shame if <laughs> <laughs> she gets stuck at the bottom. Yeah, and, and, and then she just has this you know a cloud of defeatism hanging over her. <laughs> it's such a small bike. I I got it from a couple that just moved from Germany, so it's authentic BMW from their shops that they were selling, like you know, like uh, from their from their like BMW stores, so it's pretty unique. It's awesome. I'm I'm really uh I'm excited for her. How old is she turning, by the way? Uh, four today. Four. That's a big one. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, that's really like the the memory weight of like a kid is. I start remembering things from when I was around, you know, like three and a half, four. Yeah, my my first memory I can recall very kind of vividly from like first day of uh preschool. It was, it was definitely like a, a preschool, and I, and I have a little bits of memories all throughout that period of that place where we're hanging. It was actually a, a yeah, a, a, a preschool learning center. Yeah, I think mine was uh, La Petite Academy. It was I think the was, the one I went to. It was called mine, mine's also German. It was called Der Kinderhus. Mine was like French, but yeah, same thing. French and Germans are the same. Oh my God, that makes so much sense. That's why you're such a Francophile now. Yeah, it is. It started uh, at an early age. <laughs> I was brainwashed by La Petite. Uh, <laughs> there's a, I, I think my first memory was probably getting like a Sega Genesis four year olds, four years old for Christmas was like the big thing for me. Like as far as like gifts and birthday celebrations go, and uh, I think Christmas was the first one I, that got to me. Yeah, those are always the great vivid memories. You know, some of those, like, you think those material things don't mean too much in, in the rear view, <laughs> but actually looking back, like, some, some of those things, like, it's it's less the actual item and more the fulfillment yeah. of that that desire and this big, you know, gesture from, from your parents that, that really right. made it. And it usually manifests in the form of a gift but sometimes it is just going all out in the celebration and i think i just think for like the next eight years whenever i had people over whenever we did have a party it was just the genesis was out like right like it connected us in a way that uh, yeah unless the case and you know i don't don't like this idea that people look down or like older generations look down this idea of, of video games not being you know a good uh, thing activity for kids to do and stuff because it is it does bring people together one of my favorite birthday memories is like from middle school where we had like a whole setup of, of multiple tv sets and like rock band and guitar hero setups throughout the whole house and we had like a you know a whole house full of people partying and, and playing songs and, and stuff and it was just such a blast because it you know it really was like this communal thing and it yeah. could be that it could have been like smash brothers or something we were playing as well at the time you know or any kind of other party game or you know multi-person activity 
it's like it's like the difference now like going to the movies like my best experiences are sometimes my wife was with me or uh here's a friend i had or sonic was great because i got to go with you right like <laughs> uh, it didn't even matter that we were going to see Look, sonic it mattered that we went to sonic and got that, wing. Like, that was the you. thing is that i I, I didn't care that it was Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, which was just a film that I had much disdain for after viewing for a variety of reasons, but I had a blast with it. It was fortunately not a boring film. I think if it had been boring, I might've be singing a different tune, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it was just it's great going... to get together with, with all of us and, and watch something. And that's like one of, is that the only the second time we did that? Cause I think second or third, maybe because we or... saw Halloween together. Yeah. That, that was the first episode of this podcast was a film that we went and saw went together. And saw. And I remember it was kind of funny because we we're all sitting around for a little bit, like for 10 minutes afterwards, not saying anything. <laughs> we had to digest the Halloween. I, yeah. I think I went outside for a cigarette and we didn't talk. And then we went in and talked about it. Yeah. I don't think we've had the chance to see anything else together, which is, really, is that right? I think so. It's really sad because yeah. I wasn't a big fan of either of those movies. <laughs> uh, I, I think I saw more with Will because uh, he was so local. But yeah. uh, we'll, oh, we'll definitely like, make more of an effort. As close as we are to each other, we're also yeah. really, really far away. And it's and obviously like the pandemic has just ruined any chance of seeing anything. Um, I'd say the first thing I don't remember is my parents getting divorced. Speaking of divorce, how about On the Rocks? <laughs> Solid transition. I, I remember my parents getting divorced, but I was like, you did? I was like 15 at the time. Was it traumatizing? No, yeah. <laughs> they were, they were pretty cool about making it pretty uh, understandable. And they were, they were very, uh, you know, uh, like, 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 like they still have a good rapport nowadays, even they still like communicate and such and, and have a strong relationship. Uh, so I don't feel like burdened by their separation, uh, you know, Maybe your parents' divorce wasn't traumatizing, but this movie's so boring, it just might be. <laughs> there you go. There's a better layup. So, yeah. Uh, so, Sofia Coppola's latest movie. Uh, you, how do you feel about Coppola, by the way? Uh, have you seen her at work? Uh, uh, well, I just have to say, The Godfather 3 is a travesty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, as Godfather a- <laughs> 3 out next month. <laughs> uh, as, as a director, I've really only seen lost in translation i know about her from okay. obviously other films like bling ring and uh marie Antoinette. but uh even lost in translation like when i saw it i was, I was like eh, sorry wasn't that lit is uh, what you're saying d- didn't impress me too much didn't leave much of an impression i know we, we have some people like our, our from will i think loves it i don't know it's you know it's his unclear <laughs> this, might this might change things Bill murray in it <laughs> yeah, yeah and you know it's the thing like i i think why some people might have been had higher expectations for this one is seeing Bill Murray again with Sofia Coppola. They're like, ah, there's there's our ticket. <laughs> and Rashida Jones was originally going to be in Lost in Translation as the ScarJo part, so you could see where they're like coming back. Now they have the Apple deal and endless money. Uh, let's let's throw her a bone and try it again. See what would have happened uh, hypothetically. I think that's the interesting thing we're going to be learning from this and other projects is seeing how how the streaming services. Uh, their their unchecked ability on or you know uh, on filmmakers how it's not necessarily leading to 
consistently quality films over time, you know, and you can look at it from any number of uh, directors or, or places. Sometimes they have, they have great films, you know, of course, when you're funding Scorsese, you're going to get stuff like the Irishman, yeah. uh, but He's even not like, go make a bad movie. So. Yeah. Uh, but even like you got a, uh, you know, Jarmusch on the other hand, who sometimes he'll give you Patterson. Sometimes he'll give you, the dead don't die, you know? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I feel like they're uh, throwing endless money at what would be like blank check passion projects. But uh, the thing is that they don't have any limitations. I think artists might need some. And whether or not Netflix or Apple could put limitations in, I don't think they would know when. And I don't think they do. I think they give them an endless solution. Sometimes it's... you just get the film they would have made. And sometimes it's not that interesting. I think what it is is that it's less that artists need limitations and more that they need uh, an, another voice in the process here. This is why the role of producer is often overlooked in terms of the, the importance in the filmmaking process. They, they have less of a direct hand in the actual making of the material, but their, their, you know, their weighted opinion on the matters of what goes in, what should be done, you know, and how production should, you know, go forward it is a crucial element that we often look at as an inherently like negative one. Like we like to put this kind of boogeyman mentality on a producer, but they can be a very crucial, you know, uh, component of the mix here. That's why we talk, when we talk about people like, you know, Jason Blum, you know, is an important person in the process, but it, at the same time, as we might get to with this week's selection, you know, uh, Blumhouse is not always consistent in their output either. Yeah. They, um, <laughs> Like Blumhouse just like going to Amazon now and just like putting out those horror movies. It, they're, they're a very low bar. I mean, the, there's not much you have to clear to get on these services. You you watch one of these, it's just 90 minutes of a lot of nothing. They kind of got really lucky with what like Get Out. And then, uh, you know, after that, they, they used Blumhouse, that. Yeah, quite, yeah the Get Out and like Split, they, they had a lot of success they wrote off of. But, uh, you know, what have been, like if you compare the amount of mediocre films they're putting out versus the couple of really great, you know, auteur-driven yeah. works. <laughs> Which is fine. There's no one just putting out auteur movies, by the way. Yeah. There's not a modern studio that does that. Um, you would hope, like, with the Netflix and Apple thing, they're kind of giving us variations of things we used to have. Even the best project, like Irishman, that's just a good case of it, I think where you're getting Scorsese returning to gangster films with the people who did those. Well, uh, it's, it's another case of like, it was, you know, that's the best more case of a, scenario. Well, and, and they're less of, in, in that case, Netflix was less a producer and more a distributor of the film. Yeah. There's also, yeah. I mean, Apple's only success so far, I think is boys uh, state. So, so boys state might be the, the one thing they get, but they paid a lot for that at festival. They didn't they have, produce. they have some successful TV projects as well. Don't they? Do they? Uh, I hear, I don't know. I hear good things about Ted Lasso. I like oh, they own all the rights to Charlie Brown now. That's the only place that will ever be shown again is Apple TV. What? Yeah, okay. just as of this week. So That's kind of crazy. That. Are, you think they're going to make any new Charlie Brown movies? I hope shows? so. I think they should. The, the Peanuts movie was so good, I would do it. <laughs> I'm still just used to like, I, I'm just uh, rearing up to watch the, the Halloween special again. It's, that's the main thing I watch. Sometimes I watch the Christmas one. Sometimes I don't. Now you have to watch it on Apple Plus. You probably have a DVD of that. Yeah, of course I do. What, you mean the physical media guru? Of course I do. <laughs> uh, I'm reliant on Apple. Uh, on the Rock's really bad. I think uh, I think our Friends review will come out. I haven't seen Hide Nor Hair of it, so I don't uh, know. 
Pavlos's review. He's Pavlos uh, will eventually have a review. He talked about doing a deep dive on uh, Coppola to to really properly get a ho- hold of this and see what happened. Uh, but I know it has it's been taking a little bit of time. It's a it's a long gestating project now. In the process, it got lost in translation. <laughs> Can you tell me uh, what didn't work about the film? I know we're bagging on it a lot, but I don't okay. think we said anything. <laughs> so it's about. Well, Rashida Jones, she's not sure about her husband. Is he cheating? Is, she, is he going out? And Bill Murray's her father, right? So he comes into the picture and uh, he's very, um, very drunk all the time. And he tries to give her life advice based on his fraught past experiences. And uh, he suspects the husband as well. So that it all leads up to like a boiling point where uh, they're following him around and chasing him. And then, then the movie ends and it reverses everything it did. So uh, none of it actually mattered. Nothing actually happened. Uh, but but there's like a father daughter dynamic that could be interesting. I mean, it, it's good actors. I don't think anyone's horrible in it. I just don't know what the movie's doing. It feels like a Nancy Meyer movie from 15 years ago. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There's there's not much to say to that. I guess in return, if it's so yeah. vapid. <laughs> I I've had some friends like in the critic society who think like Coppola can't do any wrong, and I know there's like those David Ehrlichs out there that like firmly believe in her work um i'm not really one of them i i think uh lost in translation and virgin suicides are pretty special i like some of her uh, early short stuff that's okay well that's the thing it seems like a weird person to, to rally around i guess because yeah it uh, it really as far as i can tell from like the cultural you know uh feeling there is that translation is really like her one film with any kind of note with yeah. virgin suicides kind of having a small ripples but you everything else a, you could say it's a beguiling take yeah. <laughs> feeling uh, beguiled it seems like a lot of her works kind of go in one ear out the other you know maybe, yeah. maybe kind of like tepid appreciation of marie antoinette like some people like the the anachronistic take but they don't say much about it beyond that this is just so commercial. I don't know why you'd make a movie like this if you had a blank check. I feel like this is what you would make if you had producers like breathing down your neck, but it also feels unproduced and that it's directionless. I mean, it, it couldn't have quite been focus tested, I, I don't think. I, I just don't know why they would make this movie. I, what 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 for? Who's it for? I don't know. I guess I guess for bringing Bill Murray back to the screen yeah, in, in any way we can get him back. But, you know, I think Wes Anderson's doing a good enough job of that. I think, yeah, anytime Bill Bur- Murray gets to the screen, it's not a complete loss for me. Um, I can watch him do just about anything, and he's funny and fun here. That's good. That's good, at least. So uh, if you like Bill Murray, there, there's that. <laughs> or just go watch Groundhog Day for the 200th time. Anything else that was uh, new this week to talk about? Um, nothing new, but uh, Rebecca did come out. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? There's nothing new there. Uh, uh, Rebecca, new adaptation of an old, new, uh, yeah, old film, uh, old old uh, Daphne du Maurier book that uh, Alfred Hitchcock already put his stamp on. Yeah, it's been eighty years since Hitchcock did it better, and um, he had so much good photography there. I mean, the the black and white and Rebecca, I really like. I like how floaty and dreamlike it is because the book is like existing in a dream state, so it feels like you're you know kind of taking a nap and you're absorbed into something. I think. Uh, I know you'd agree that it at least feels like taking a nap. Yeah, uh, 
notoriously not a fan of uh, Rebecca or his other De Maurier uh, adaptation or the other really famous one. Uh, though, that, though that one's that one's better than the other two for sure. Yes, yeah, it. I, at least it's the best horror film. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> so what you're saying is that for someone who does not find much enjoyment out of Hitchcock's film, uh, is, is there anything redemptive in this new work? I got a chance here. Am I going to love this one? I mean, Lily James and Army Hammer are kind of hot. Does that appeal to you? No, 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 I don't think so. Then, no, I don't know why you'd watch it otherwise. Um, I, I don't think there's anything redemptive about it. It makes weird changes to the plot. It, it really sinks the ending, which I really love, which is like they're driving back on their way to, um, to what do you call it? Manderley, sorry. Uh, they're driving back to Manderley and they're they're like breathing in like the salt air of the ocean. Suddenly they get like the, the salt mixed with ash and it's just implied that it's on fire. Like it doesn't go as far uh, as Hitch- Hitchcock even, which that's, lights the whole thing on fire. That's the one thing I remember from the film. It's more Gatsby-ish. Yeah, I remember the big house fire. That's a great shot from the film. The film has good cinematography, but you yeah. know, I was, I was pretty bored by it. Maybe I'll watch but it again someday. Here it doesn't even end at the fire. It just f- keeps fucking going. <laughs> they, they end up in like a little vacation villa, like an Airbnb style. And they're just like having a nice time and talking about their trips they're going to take. And then the movie ends. What the fuck are you doing? Like, why would you ruin a book? Like, uh, Rebecca has a, a hard ending, I feel like. I, it didn't need to keep going. I don't know. I, I wonder why as well. Like, it, it you yeah. gotta wonder in the cases like why someone would choose to make another adaptation. There's something relevant about this when someone has already no. made like a distinctive, <laughs> like definitive version of it. Like, I don't think anyone, even, even someone like me, who's like, I don't really like Rebecca. Like, I'm not like somebody else could do this better. I'm like, even no, me. no, it's like Hitchcock probably did the, the best that anyone could, you know? Yeah, I, I, Hitchcock might've done better than Demoria did on the novel that I already like. I mean, it's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm trying to think like it's just it's it's never really a good idea to try and tackle this. I'm trying to think of another case, yeah. at least in in modern history. I'm I know there are older classics, of course. Like well, you could say, The Wizard of Oz had like two adaptations before mm-hmm. they made the one in 1939, but those Rebecca's weren't really like got a couple more. Ones. But but nobody's noticed because Hitchcock's is so ever present. I mean, it's in the Criterion, right? Like it has a stamp on it, but there's also it's more also elevated. just like any anyone like I. Almost all of Hitchcock's films are book adaptations, you know, yeah. in some way. But you wouldn't sure. think to readapt like <laughs> any of them, basically, because it's no. just it would be heresy. <laughs> it's like we talked about with Psycho; it shouldn't work, and if it does, then it's uh, almost a coincidence. And that was like a sequel as well, and it wasn't even a sequel. Like the book sequel was a sequel; like it's totally different. <laughs> uh, we're talking more like, uh, you know. Uh, the the the, Vince, the the Gus Van Sant uh, remake here, where right. in, in terms of ill-advised decisions, <laughs> I'd say this isn't even a remake of Hitchcock. Like the director said, like specifically, I'm not going to remake the film, but he did. Except he took out all the paranormal parts, which in De Maurier's age, that's what separated her from like the dime store romance novels. That that's all women were allowed to write, you know. Um, I I think Little Women recently has gotten into that. This is what the pressure of the market forced onto women, and so De Maurier bro- broke out of that by adding qu- paranormal aspects to her novels. I this think- kind of cuts all that out for a fucking romance story. There's nothing going on. I mean, <laughs> Lily James looks cute, but there's no reason for her and Army Hammer to be in this movie. They they have nothing to do in it. They 
they look nice. They, there's good dresses. Maybe someone will like it for like a costume award. There's no other reason. I don't see why does it exist. It makes me angry because I like this. <laughs> You're very upset about this, which is wonderful <laughs> for me. I like this book a lot. I, I don't feel like it's even the worst movie. I feel like it's so tepid and nothing even happens. Like it's the worst, like Netflix, like middle of the road, just like backwash. I, I don't see why you'd make it. I hear uh, the director's next project is going to be an adaptation of uh, Don't Look Now. How do you feel about yeah, that? I think it'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should probably just take a break and think about this for a while. Go in this room. Go, go in the corner and think about what you've done. <laughs> go think about Rebecca again. Maybe maybe come back in a few years. Um, he had made but like Free Fire and a few other things. I'm not a real follower. Oh, he did. Th- th- that seems like a weird jumping point to go from Free Fire to this. <laughs> Yeah, I think it okay. just got him enough clout that Netflix are like, just go make something that someone already made. I don't fun. even I remember directly. What I remember about Free Fire is that they slapped Martin Scorsese's name as producer all over the marketing. <laughs> Did they? Yeah. I haven't seen Free Fire. Is it okay? I don't know. I don't watch new okay. movies. <laughs> Me neither. I, I mean, I watch old movies that are new, like, uh, like On the Rocks and Rebecca. Oh. <laughs> um, so no good movies this week. Uh, two that are pretty bad. Um yeah, it sound, sounds like they're very, very bad. Is one worse than the other? Um, I say that On the Rocks is probably worse, but only I'd, I'd say it's more interesting. Though I'd say go watch On the Rocks instead. Uh, it's more like a three out of ten, but at least it fails in an interesting way. I think it, as at least it has the privilege to fail instead of like the privilege to repeat and do worse than someone's done before because that's fucking lame. Even if it's like a four out of ten, that's that's the it's, lamest thing you could do. It's kind of interesting that the. Uh, the the complaints with both of these are mostly that they are unoriginal and derivative but in different different ways you know one is of like a kind of filmmaking style and a purposelessness to his direction while the other is like a wholly unnecessary adaptation that brings nothing new to the table and actively changes things and adds on when it shouldn't I mean, one's like a Nancy Myers movie, which I shouldn't like. Like, I don't want to watch The Holiday, really. I mean, it's not for me. Um, but Daphne du Maurier, that should be right at my alley. I love all her books. And I like the adaptations more than most. Um, like, on the average, I'd say mine are always higher. Uh, so I, I'd always give, like, a high score to Don't Look Now or Rebecca. Um, I, or My Cousin Rachel. I think that's an interesting story that has a lot to mine from it. I think there's a lot to do with du Maurier that hasn't even been done. Uh, so someone give me a script. Let me do it, please. <laughs> well, in the meantime, I, I guess speaking of films that you would make, uh, yes, that's what's brought us here today, isn't it? <laughs> uh, finally, uh, I feel like I finally had success on the podcast because I finally uh, talked you into you, covering Happy Death Day. Uh, less, less talked into, more broken my spirit. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that's sure. the way I want to put it. Uh, I have succumbed to your uh, pestering over uh, multiple years now. You sent me a list of 15 movies. You're like, you want to do some good movies this week? I have like 15 <laughs> like timeless classics that I've lined up and I put some time to it. I'm like, hmm, no, no, let's do Happy Death Day, which you haven't seen. And uh, it's something only I'm celebrating because I've, I've started a cult, but I'm also the leader. I feel like I, I need to lead this movement because it's my favorite thing. I'm pretty sure any other like highly positive reviews I've seen on Letterboxd are uh, just you making separate accounts to boost the cloud of the film. Uh, I'm convinced that that's what this this case is. Uh, it's not it a, it's not a bad movie. I'll say up front, Happy Death Day is not a bad. It is in fact a good movie. I would say yeah, a uh, great one. 
you know, it's, it's, it's a little uh, mi- middle of the road, I think. Uh, it's, it's very tropey. It's all right. It's entertaining. Uh, I just, so should we know, just should the, we the start mystery. What it is. Yeah. The, yeah. Let's get into what okay. it is. So like 1993, right? We have Groundhog Day coming out. And right next to that, we have 1201, which is like a science fiction movie about like girls like going into the future and getting murdered every night. And uh, it's the same repetition every night. She has to figure out how to prevent her murder. Um, so we pair those things together. We take the Groundhog Day and the, the 1201, which came out like months apart, and we make them one movie. And then we give them the aesthetic of like 90s Scream, which is like, uh, you know, kind of a garbage horror aesthetic that's been thrown away and discarded for good reason. I, uh, I, I like that description. Garbage horror aesthetic. It is. On the money. Yeah, because, I mean, that's just, like, exploitation of, like, collegiate horror, right? Like, it's it's like the college girl is go be ditzy. And, uh, she's not going to learn anything for the movie, and we'll punish her for her sexuality. Uh, that's the kind of horror that it's kind of riffing off of. Right, and it's got that tongue-in-cheek nature with Scream, where it's like, we're kind yeah. of satirical, but like in the most milk toast kind of way, like like of very I mean, very mild. <laughs> I mean, it's not like a satirical statement that's really going to land and be like, "That was a profound thing to say." It's like it's like an occasional wink, like uh, yeah. see, we're in on it. <laughs> Although it it sold itself as like a completely different kind of movie. Um, of course, it had like the Fifty Cent song in the a trailer. Uh, Fifty Cent just came out last night as a supporter of Donald Trump. So fucking, I'm and I'm glad it's not there, but uh. Um, <laughs> down with fitty uh the, the the song that they composed instead uh i would like to say makes it's funny it's funny but it doesn't make any sense like 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 just from a a logistical standpoint for me personally i'm like who would change their ringtone to be a birthday song for this Especially one day that's like hey and, it's your birthday come yeah. on pick up your phone <laughs> and and it's like the day before like you would have to set that the day before because she wakes up and it's and it's like this it's not even an alarm it's it's a phone call and and she seems to have like a (laughs) like that kind of typical like dislike of birthdays you know yeah yeah that's what i have to on my own honestly but 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 you still set up the birthday song for yourself (laughs) it might just be her her dad's ringtone it's only when her dad calls her that this goes off so maybe he only calls her on her birthday because it was a traumatic event in their family and uh that's when she expects it all right, that's that's a, a lot of justifying there, but sure, I'll well, buy that one. This <laughs> movie also was originally conceived in like 2007, so like it might have some holdovers. Like, that makes sense. It was originally <laughs> going to be directed by Michael Bay, <laughs> and it was. What, going, was it really? How much research yeah. did you do for this? Is this I, all? <laughs> I'm I'm the leader of the cult, so I just know everything about it. So, uh, <laughs> the university itself is called Bayfield University because it was going to be a Michael May, Bay movie, but. Uh, you'll like it. It's actually a university in New Orleans. Um, I think it's Leona or something University. I don't know if you know it, but uh, Leona uh, Loyola University in New Orleans. So they they renamed it that. It was Gustav Megan Fox, and I think the result that, that we got sense. is so much more interesting. I c- I can imagine. Uh, I would I would definitely not want to see Megan Fox in this role. No. Uh, although you know, I like. I guess she's okay again. I like Jennifer's body all right as much as the next person, but yeah, you do. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, delete that. <laughs> uh, so I, speaking of liking bodies, I really like Jessica Roth in this. Um, <laughs> it's getting real uncomfortable. Uh, no, it's 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 true though. You do. Uh, uh, last time I was over at your house, uh, you had a giant poster of her uh, from her nude walk in the movie uh, set up in, inside your closet. <laughs> 
So um, originally, I believe that, um, yeah, I, I believe it was going to be like that. And then they, they just shifted it with the, it has like a new vision as Jessica Roth in it. Um, I, I do love the mask. I think that's one thing we share about the movie is the mask is so, really fucking funny. So so here's the thing. I think I think the mask is the perfect encapsulation of the movie because it's silly and ridiculous and riffing off of horror tropes while also being a little hard to take seriously and believable in the context of the story. Like you you really want me to believe that this school mascot is a baby? Um, so the original mascot, <laughs> I believe, of the New Orleans University was a bum. <laughs> so, uh, it was like a big bum named Bo. Uh, so it, it was like a homeless person before. So I can't. I not a huge stretch. I don't. I don't know if I believe that, but okay. all right, all right. Um, but yeah, it's it's the baby mask is like uh, I believe it enough to buy it in the context of the movie, but it's just so patently ridiculous that it's it's hard to take seriously still. Uh, but again, I think it's a it's a perfect metaphor for the film itself in many ways. Is that I can't take a lot of its serious elements seriously, but when it leans coming. in, when yeah. it leans into the ridiculous and humorous elements, it works. I think, which is all the time. Um, I feel like the whole movie is very humorous, and it knows what it's doing at any point. Uh, I feel like it does. I don't feel like it like skewers like the '90s movie. It's very much a part of that system. Yeah. It, I, it it's really playing into like scream and um what's like the uh, scary movie kind of thing it has a somewhat strict adherence to horror and, and slasher movie tropes and yeah. i think that's this kind of where it becomes a little rote in in sections uh, it is a remake of 1201 and groundhog day i mean it's not more i mean uh, yeah that that formulaic groundhog day structure really makes it feel repetitive in the beginning not in the groundhog day sense in the every other movie with this concept has done this in this exact same way before kind of way. <laughs> I, I don't agree. I, th <laughs> I think it's fun. I think it adds something that it is a slasher film. I don't feel like yeah, any yeah. movie has done that. That is, I, I was talking more like when she's walking through the quad and you're like, you yeah, have yeah. all of the sequences going on and she's like, she's able to predict them and point them out. It's like, yeah, we come on. We've done that before. <laughs> I, I think you have to kind of do that. I think that's what you want though. Like from a groundhog thing is you want to see them go through the motions differently and have the fun. That's what I want. That's what Maybe. it feels to me. You, you I like seeing the permeations of what you do. I like the idea that every choice you make makes such a big difference in your day. I just, I'd, I'd like to see a little more variation. What happens? Like, there's only I think one scene where she actually interacts with those recurring events, and, and uh, even then, I don't find them particularly like interesting when when she what she does with them, with the ability to uh, predict them and I stuff. Do. Oh yeah, I, I know. But you love everything about you love everything about this movie. You've just committed so emphatically to everything about it <laughs> that it's, it's inseparable from your identity. I've seen a lot of them the last few years. Uh, yeah. Koki, there's so many Koki D, Koki Dot, uh, The Long Winding Weekend, Russian Doll. I mean, I, I watch all of these. Yeah, you've you've committed to this as a facet of your persona, and you're pioneering <laughs> this genre, which is quickly picking up speed. I'm pretty sure these new projects are only getting greenlit because they hear you going on and on about them in the podcasts. And we have like Palm Beach Story, which was an excellent execution, a lot like this one actually. Palm Beach, not Palm Beach Story. That one's a, a Preston Sturges movie, which is also great, but you know, it, no time loops in that one. What was the What was the new one called? It's just uh, called Palm Beach. I'm pretty sure. The Palm Beach Story. No. Uh, no. <laughs> less Sturges. Um, yeah, no Sturges in that one. Okay, so Palm Beach, uh, pretty good. 
I like that movie too. And for the same reasons, um, I like these repetitions and I'm always going to be a fan of it. I, it's not going to take a lot more. Yeah. You, you got to tell me. So, so I gotta, I gotta understand now, not, not only what it is about the groundhog day movie specifically that appeal to you, but, but this one in particular, what was the magic formula that unlocked <laughs> with this series that has made you just the super fan? I don't want to, I, I feel like it's too personal of an answer. So it will, it'll sound like, like I'm saying something else, but really it's from like being in a coma and realizing like how short life could be and like what those dreams were. I spent so long just trying to get my memories back that uh, for me, something like Groundhog Day became so therapeutic right away because I couldn't remember anything from the last day, right? So uh, in some way, every day was the same for me for like a whole month and a half, I was stuck in a coma and I, I worried a lot more. Like I watched like 50 first dates when I came out of it. And I was like, <laughs> oh shit, this is like an impactful thing for me now. Like I don't remember anything. Um, you'll notice that I'm like rewatching movies I've seen and I I don't know anything about them. Like uh, there, there are whole years in my life that are just blank to me. So uh, the idea of rep- repeating things and getting another chance at something, uh, which is also what I believe in, in like redemption and recovery is that uh, we all deserve another chance and that we should meet people with compassion. I think that's what these movies teach also is that uh, memory is important and it's very personal and that we can meet people with compassion and get better results. Yeah, that, that does seem like a very personal, you know, take on it and, and obviously affect and uh, it puts me in a hard position because now I can't rip on the movie as much because now it's like I'm attacking you and your experiences in this, you know, life-changing <laughs> event, you know. That's why I said I was going to make it too personal. So yeah, we'll yeah. You, wh- you whipped out the coma card on me. Where can I Where can I go from there? It was the first movie I, I saw, like, out of the coma that actually reflected on my experience with, like, memory loss and, and like, my ability to maintain. Like, it already connected to, like, what I loved about Groundhog Day my whole life. But it wasn't until I saw Happy Death Day that it connected with me about why I like these movies. So yeah, in some way, it, it is like my original experience of why these matter. Well, it tapped into that that specific like horror movie slasher appeal as well, which is of course a huge yeah. like facet like, of I'm, your your appeal I'm easy too. too. I think I think <laughs> teenagers should get movies still. I think teenagers should get movies that are fun for them still. Like just because I'm not a teenager, I still think that Ezra should get movies like Happy Death Day. I think they're important to like the fabric of horror, especially that kids want to go out to the theater and have something that's fun and reflects like their, you know, like college years or something that's immediate to them. It still matters. Yeah. I'm, I think that that's the case. I don't know how. What other ones are there lately <laughs> that are of value? I mean, I mean, I guess one could argue. Slashers? Could, there could be an argument made if this one is of value or not. But, you yeah, know, I, 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 mean, I, I think there's enough value in it uh i don't know if if anyone was you know clamoring for a sequel after it came out sure uh, oh i mean except for you for you obviously this one is a fairly big fan base almost nobody saw the second one i think valentine's day was a bad day to launch that though i think that i don't know some, sometimes people get that you know that that's the that other time thing. to put out horror movies other than uh in october because love I guess I don't know. <laughs> I just can't wait for Happy Death Day. We, you know, the, the um, original, the original Dracula came out on Valentine's Day. Yeah, I mean, it is a very popular day for that. I just don't know if Happy Death Day was the one. Like, I think they, I think they banked hard on it, and it, it needed a lot more promotion. Um, so the way that this one takes from like Groundhog Day, and they, you know, they have the ending conversation. Like, a, have you heard of Bill Murray? Who's Bill Murray? 
so they do the same thing with Back to the Future in the next one. Then. Isn't, isn't that a joke from Zombieland as well? This who's Bill Murray thing? <laughs> Maybe just... it might be a ongoing joke. Like uh, great movies are always in conversation with each other, David. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm I'm glad Happy Death Day and Zombieland <laughs> are what we are bar for great movies now. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like I'm a little bit more open with horror. Like I'm saying, like I'm I'm ready to have like those teenage experiences where. Uh, I want to go to the theater with Ezra and experience these like dumb horror movies. Look, They're really look, your, fun for me. Your first movie watching experience was Leprechaun with your dad. So like yeah. the the bar is like it's it's really there down low. Are you are you making a height comment about the Leprechaun? The height <laughs> of the Leprechaun bar? Are you saying it's a low bar because he's a short person? <laughs> I I have nothing but respect. <laughs> For the vertically challenged people of our society. Are you saying that challenge? <laughs> um, anyway, I think it's a great benefit to Leprechaun. I, I tried to push doing, in my head, I was either going to try to push doing this or Leprechaun this week. Look, uh, you can just, you can tell everyone that you blackmailed me by saying I wasn't allowed to have my hundredth film pick if I didn't do this. It's true. You, you said, uh. You said you have to come up with something that I really wouldn't want to happen. So I said, we're not going to do Citizen Kane for a hundred. Uh, just so we do Happy Death Day. That's the trade we're making. Up. That's the kind of trade we're making on this website. Citizen Kid for Happy Death Day. Uh, equivalent movies, I think, uh, equal impacts <laughs> on their genre. Um, I, I think it's a stupid movie. I, I don't. Have, I don't <laughs> I'm, have. Any, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we agree on so many points here. <laughs> just. I'm not on, saying on two, it's good. No, I mean, you, you kind of are, but you're also acknowledging how it's not. <laughs> There are definitely ways, like the structure of it and the '90sness of it, which is my least favorite era of horror movies. Um, there, there are things I could look at this movie and be like, "This is really bad," but I have such a good time, and I feel so much about it that it, it's such a strong reaction. I have a Calvin, I want you to know I have a very difficult time with you <laughs> saying that the '90s is your least favorite time period for horror when you talk about Leprechaun and and your love for Halloween H20. You know, Leprechaun's like a 1988 movie. <laughs> is it? Is it's got to be like nine? Uh, Back late, to the hood. The Back late, to the hood is our 90s Leprechaun. Yeah. Reference. Well, obviously, with that title, I mean, <laughs> how could it be from any other era? Leprechauns in space, pretty great. Uh, I I feel like that's just a whole thing between my dad and I, where it's always been our inside joke. And uh, is this going to well, be your thing with Ezra? Like, yeah, you're you're, you're going to have to start personally funding Happy Death Day sequels so you have some bonding material with your daughter. I'm glad that it comes like it, it's based around her birthday the day before. So it's very easy for me to carry that over into her birthday. <laughs> is is a good link to trap her with early. Um, yeah. So leprechaun movies are usually good. At least the ones with Warwick Davis, once they move into returns that just stop watching them, the modern ones suck. <laughs> a short bar. A low bar, you said? <laughs> it is a low bar. I'll never get over it. Uh, <laughs> that ruined uh, like all my ideas about how to talk about Happy Death Day. I, I do feel like I derailed it a bit, but I, I guess I guess for my own opinion on the film, I do have some some positive things to say. Uh, okay, I think uh, the 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 actress um, Jessica Roth. Jessica Roth, that's her name. I remembered it. Uh, uh, it's very good and charismatic. Uh, the writing for her is really rough up front, and they make her out to be a dislikable bitch but you know it, it provides for good uh, opportunity for character arc and she's capable enough to pull it off uh some of the moments were were very humorous i, I had fun with it uh 
a couple of kills are, are interesting. I liked the, the one that really it's stuck out kills. to me was one of the early ones where like the baby face guy is just stabbing the dude in the background <laughs> when she's on the phone. That was yeah, funny. It is. Uh, it plays into the collegiate horror in funny ways. Uh, the first one actually got me in theater, the one where you were making fun of the tunnel. Uh, somehow, <laughs> I, I don't think I expected the movie it became based on the trailer. Um, there's there's this, this weird tunnel. It's just like, why is this tunnel on the campus? It's like a oddly sized tunnel. It's too big for just like passing people underneath. Like, I don't know why you would have a tunnel just as a walkway, but it's too small for any cars. I don't understand the purpose of the tunnel there other than to be a creepy horror setup (laughs) (laughs) um i i thought you'd be able to tell me from from like your new orleans experience is this like for carriages is it uh, what what's the new orleans purpose of such a awkward i I don't know tunnels aren't like commonplace in in the louisiana area as far as i know uh I'm I'm not I don't have an extensive history of New Orleans tunnels on my bookshelf anywhere to pull from. I I just thought you were so specific about the the tunnel. Um, it just it was it it struck me as odd, and and so I became perplexed by it for a moment. <laughs> it's just big enough that you could see both ends clearly and see what they're it, setting up. I think so. it reminded me of the tunnel in like in Back to the Future too, ironically enough. Yeah. So that one's like an actual tunnel in, right. you know, Cal- in the Pasadena area where, you it's know, not, cars actually go through. It's not an actual tunnel. I think it's, it's on a, the college campus. It's, it's, I know. It just, the, the structure of it, I thought, was, was odd. <laughs> Maybe it is actually on the campus. I don't know. But Could it be. struck me as, as odd. <laughs> um, I, I like the... I like the baby face killer. I think it's yeah. such a fun villain, honestly. That, I think that's not the, knowing who it is is fun. That's that's I think my my favorite part. The the twist of, of who it is does feel a little contrived. Uh, You're right about the cupcake. That's so <laughs> obvious. My wife, by the way, at the cupcake sing, bringing bringing me in a cupcake. Really fucked up time. <laughs> really, really fucked up time. I hope you didn't eat that cupcake. The cupcake is sus, man. <laughs> I, I I tossed it behind the bed. It's still there. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I generally enjoyed the film. I think it was a entertaining ninety minute horror romp. You know, not not offensive in any way. There is some l- little too enthusiastic filmmaking techniques in some places. I think the director went a little ham. There's like one shot where it like you know like zooms out really fast from her eye or something. I'm like, you don't need to be that flashy, man. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, I like the I like the bit where she goes nude on campus. That's a good scene. That one that one felt odd to me but i understand why you liked it obviously yeah i like that well jessica ross says i i have to agree with her she says it's so empowering because it was all female uh cast shooting that scene they had to do it so quickly because they're shooting on live campus too so a lot of the times they don't want to get noticed and they're just trying to go about it in a very formal way um so it's interesting to me making movies like that in live places that are actually coexisting next to you yeah it's a interesting for sure i wonder how many are actual collegiate extras right um i i i like the campus basically you're right that like it's weird that there's like the hospital i know that that's the thing and it ties back into those tunnel thing is that the space of this this film and where it exists is, is a little confusing to me like the hospital aspects of it are, are, are odd like it feels like a, a regular standard college campus but also like there's like a whole medical wing and everything yeah. uh which is kind of odd but then there's also like what, what was that like it's a it's a 
church steeple or tower or something that a big moment takes place in where the hell is that in conjunction with everything <laughs> it feels like this weird mash of locations in in this which you know it, it works for the story purposes but like when i'm taking it in on whole i'm like this is a really weird setup <laughs> well i think groundhog day comparatively is so good at building context for space and yeah you get to do a lot in the, the space like you have an interesting place even like a street corner where you yeah. know like stepping off the block you'll fall into that puddle the the town of punxsutawney has a very distinct yes. character to it that is identifiable in every location of the film it doesn't feel like any one spot is out of place whereas this one it definitely feels like a, a weird mixture of filming locations that don't all that aren't all cohesive well, they don't really address them in a way that always pays off the plot either i feel like everywhere in punxsutawney it feels like a Pennsylvania town for one feels Midwestern and uh, like the people all know each other. They've been there forever. And it's just a weather guy on the scene. Like he has purpose to be there. It never feels like trees, like going to classes or doing anything that feels like she's of her experience. I mean, she's like, she's fucking her teacher. That's one thing, right? Yeah. That, that is, uh, you know, one thing I appreciate, even if films do this when it's a little contrived is that they wrap up all of the ends, you know, in a, yeah. in a satisfying way, like all of those, uh conflicts going on they all have conclusions in some kind of satisfying manner again it does feel a little like you know forced or you know like obvious in the way they do it like oh i gotta go wrap up this point with the teacher mm. i gotta have this you know redeeming part of my character i gotta go help all these people out on the quad and show that i've grown as a person it's like yeah but at the same time you know i i think i would dislike it more if you left these you know dangling threads don't you think it's pretty deep that her name is Tree to imply that she'll grow and that her story will branch? It's pretty cool. <laughs> See, now you're just assigning fake meaning to things to justify your love of this movie. <laughs> I, I do feel like they, they wrap things up neatly, I think. Uh, I like where it ends up getting to here. Uh, it is obvious where it's going most of the way. Um, the, the second one, I think, gives more context. I think we talked about one thing, which is like a... This never justifies exactly the nature of the loop. It's it's kind of yeah. like 1201 in that you just die the same time every day. It doesn't have to, I think, with these kind of movies. Like, I think it's asking too much to supply a, a reasoning necessarily. Because obviously Although, it's the, the progenitor, you know, Groundhog Day doesn't yeah. do that. You know, there's no Palm reasoning. Spring, Palm Springs story, though, does it. Well, most others do. Like we talked about yeah. ground, uh, not ground. We talked about uh, Edge of Tomorrow earlier this year right. in the that same vein. Yeah, and the reasoning I, I discovered why it bothered me in this case, where it doesn't explain it, is because it interlinks the idea of this killer and the time loop are are kind of working together. She she resets because of the being killed. You know, is the idea. Uh, and so when when we have a a lengthy explanation for the murderer and who and why they're doing that and what but it's not actually linked then to it like this is just happening for some reason then it does feel kind of like unaddressed like the the veil of the gimmick there is so obvious you know like that's it's just <laughs> yeah. there because it's a fun gimmick for the film it doesn't really well, have a narrative purpose because <laughs> groundhog day did it and we don't have a horror movie that did groundhog day i think is the yeah. main thing right i and, mean it's not like a textual reason for it it's just that this is a fun thing to make and i wish i did it yeah it's it's really that's the whole reasoning for the film is that it's like yeah. hey what if groundhog day but serial killer you know and then i'm like fuck yeah this is what i want <laughs> 
This is what I wanted from movies the whole time. I think we all have have that one movie that we're just like, I'm here for it. Doesn't matter how yeah. bad it is or you know how contrived <laughs> this, things are. This is what I want to make. I, I I guess I should go watch it, right? Like I, I guess I should get everyone to watch this thing because I would have made it too, and I would want people to watch it if I did. It's it's fun, and it would be impossible for me to hate it because of your yeah. you know enthusiasm. I think maybe I would I would feel like less <laughs> enthused by it if I wasn't subjected to your Let's be propagandistic. You just wouldn't documents. watch it. No, I wouldn't have. You I a hundred percent would not have watched this movie if I was not put into this situation. <laughs> I'm glad we had a fun outcome though that that we got to watch it together for one, and that we both you know kind of like the movie. I, I mean, I think it's fine. You think it's good. So, uh, I think that's a good place to be. Yeah, it's a, it's not a hearty recommendation to our listeners out there, but uh, you know, I think this was generally, I, I I did this for one reason, and it was it's just so I could talk about Citizen Kane in a couple of weeks. That's it. Yeah, let's be honest though. If you have thirty-one movies you're trying to hit every October, eventually Happy Death Day might you're, have a fun spot where you want to low, you know. You're gonna you hit. You're gonna hit a film like this in your in your yeah. horror marathon for sure. It was good because if we just did like nonstop classics the whole time, that wouldn't really be representative of a Halloween movie no. marathon. You got to have some like middle of the road <laughs> slasher fare, you know, some kind of. And then you have, to have like high ends. You have to have high ends like Happy Death Day too to like cap off the <laughs> silly movies like Halloween Three. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm glad we did it at least just for the fun of the the gimmick of yeah revealing your obsession here <laughs> and now i don't have to talk about it for a while i i feel like i bought time on this where i don't have to reference happy death day until next month when uh the director's film freaky comes out and then uh, we'll be revisiting it every week again so you have like two weeks without happy death day i think that's what it bought us i will covet those two weeks <laughs> like my life depends on it <laughs> you know um, well, I'm glad we got to a horror. I think we need a slasher horror, even though it's a low bar. <laughs> yeah. I, I I mean, I guess Halloween's the only other slasher we've really done, right? Have yeah. we done any others? No. I, I, I guess so. I guess it's because, by definition, slashers are generally mediocre movies. <laughs> uh, we we could differ on that a little bit. Huh? Oh, I mean, just like like what we think of as a slasher, anyway. Like the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels or the Friday the 13th movies or, you know, those, I watched, those uh, ones. I watched Nightmare 2 last night along with its documentary. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know that one's got a little reevaluation lately because yeah. of the supposed homosexual-like subtext that's it's got going on. I, I wouldn't even call it subtext. I think they would go all the way in. I think it's a very, very gay movie. And, of course, like the main actor was closeted up to that point and they found out he was gay in production. So they wrote the whole movie as it being like this huge, like queer experience. And I think it's pretty offensive kind of that it, mm. it, it undermines that and has them choose like the straight relationship. It's a little bit garbage, but uh, the documentary on it's good. I think it's called a scream queen, my nightmare on Elm street. So uh, there's some good slasher things out there. It's just that you have to wade through a lot of shit sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Again, when, when we think of the genre, we don't, think of the classics necessarily immediately we right. think the garbage <laughs> we don't go right to like black christmas and halloween we start well those like, are like those are the foundational ones too yeah. like in some instances you you can hardly call them that for what the slash genre evolved sure. into i guess like again like the highlights are like the original nightmare on elm street and scream like west craven's output and such and some of the lesser known ones which i don't know off the top of my head <laughs> happy death day to you um <laughs> 
they they did announce that they were going to make a, th- a third movie, which would blow the whole thing up, by the way. They were going to expand it and have it be more than a day. Uh, and maybe everyone would be involved in the loop that time. So I'm, I'm still optimistic this could happen. I don't know why they would do it now, but... I mean, maybe... Blumhouse is making some bullshit on Amazon. They have money. Just do it. Maybe there would be like another revival craze in another 30 years and you'll finally get your belated Happy Death Day sequel in 2050. Four years. (laughs) I think it's bound to happen. You have to have Jessica Roth in it, so it needs to happen soon. All right. I'll I'll put money on 30 years. You put money on four years. And whichever one of us is closer, uh, We'll, we'll win the bet. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll pay you in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, see you in 30 years then, Calvin. I feel like this has a better outcome for me because there's a little bit more likelihood I get paid. So. <laughs> I don't know. I guess time will tell. <laughs>